learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. So if hiring right is so critical to the organization, why is interviewing one action that is entirely left up to chance? It's been my experience that virtually zero small companies invest in training their people on how to interview. This is the experience of an extremely successful executive. We'll call him Jeff. He's actually a friend of mine who's a C-level executive that had in his career about one hour of interview training. And that was about 10 years ago. It is assumed that most leaders already know how to interview, but the truth is, we don't. Most of us know how to talk about skills and look for likable traits, but the process is riddled with bias and assumptions, missing the evidence that is so critical in hiring the strongest person for the role. My name is Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win the right hires by sharing insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Adam Stonehawker. He is the head of sales at Gemini, which is a data visualization company that helps executives make key decisions involving their most important asset, their people. He has led sales teams for Peak, Google, Twitter, Pandora Radio, and AdRoll, and has hired over 500 salespeople throughout his career and trained his leaders to interview with purpose, which is what makes Adam the perfect expert for today's topic. Adam, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Thanks for having me, Rick. Today, we're going to discuss why you need to invest in training your people how to interview, and then we're going to talk about how to train your people to effectively interview people and gain evidence to support making the hire. Sound like a plan? Sounds great. All right, let's do that. There's this belief that I've, and I've talked to so many executives or CEOs or founders within companies throughout my career, and there's this belief that there's really no right way to interview. And at the end, it all comes down to just trusting your gut and pulling the trigger, which to me is so wrong in so many ways. There is a right way. And as Benjamin Franklin said, if you fail to plan, then you should plan to fail. And it all comes down to training. And it's probably the one thing in which leaders fail the most at. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Why don't companies invest in training? Like you said at the beginning of the show, they assume that these leaders know how to interview and find the right talent. But as in most organizations, like when I was promoted into my first sales leader role, I found myself now interviewing to fill positions and nobody told me what to look for, how to gauge the right talent. And because of that, we really struggled as a team to hit our revenue goals. We had very high attrition. Attrition was actually about 20% per month. We were having to hire 10 to 15 people per month just to backfill roles. And then the culture was terrible. Our top performers, literally one came to me and said, look, Adam, it feels like you're hiring anybody that can breathe. So I knew we had a major problem. <laughs> I totally get that. You know, it's funny. You go up this chain where you start and then you grow into being one of the top performers. And then they think, well, he's a top performer. We should promote him. And so they promote you. In my case, when I got promoted, I got zero management training. And as a matter of fact, I enrolled myself at a local community college just to take a management course, just to refresh and build upon, because I was an art school major. I went to art school. They didn't have any of that. I took it upon myself to learn the business side or how to manage, but I failed tremendously. And it was just throwing you into the fire. Now, again, I was also interviewing people. I didn't know how to interview people either. It's the blind leading the blind. 
<laughs> it was. And you know what? It's costly to the organization. It is definitely the yeah. blind lead in Levine. So you were having a lot of different issues. So you were just hiring anybody. What do you think that was costing the company? There's the obvious cost of recruiting and hiring and then onboarding somebody that's only going to last a couple months and then having to replace them. All of that investment is just gone. And there's different studies that will put a monetary value of like five to 10K on every single wrong hire. And that's just in the recruiting process. Not to mention the effect it has on your culture, the effect it has on hitting goal, the effect it has on you as a manager and the stress level that you have. I had a full head of hair before I was a manager. <laughs> right. <laughs> it went real fast after that. Yeah. You've got upper management that's not happy with you. In my case, one of the big teams that I ran was a client and they were like, hey, we don't want to continue a relationship with you if you can't get this under control. So now you're losing maybe a multi-million dollar client that is paying you to actually hire the right people and achieve the results and you're not achieving the results. So I knew that we had to change and a big catalyst actually for recognizing the change was at the time, like you, Rick, I didn't have anybody teach me how to be a manager. Yeah. So I went out there and I read the books. I listened to the podcast. I've talked to you before. Higher Power was definitely a podcast that helped guide me and helped me understand some of the mistakes I was making when it came to hiring. Yeah. Yeah. And Thanks for the shameless plug. I appreciate it. Well, <laughs> it's well-deserved. The resources are out there if you want to go find them and you've got a leader that's willing to do that. So one of the books I read was Good to Great, Jim Collins. Yep, great and book. Literally the very first thing that Jim talks about in what makes great companies is getting the right people on the bus. And I was like, okay, we got to figure this thing out. We got to get the right people on the bus. And once we started to do that, we can talk about what happened after that. But That is so very true. Every leader of a company, if you don't know how to hire, then you should look to train yourself and train those around you. I mean, it's really important that it comes from the top down because first and foremost, it keeps your people productive because interviewing a lot of people in a pipeline and hoping that you're going to hire somebody, it eats up a ton of time for the people that are supposed to be productive working. When your manager is spending 50 to 60% recruiting and interviewing, that's just way too much. That just lends itself to more attrition because you're not coaching or managing those people now that are literally like you got brand new hires that especially when you're scaling a team you got brand new hires that are a month in on the job and they're not getting coached or managed then they're not successful two months later and you're putting them on correctives and really you didn't invest the time because you were spending so much time trying to hire it's this vicious cycle if you don't get it right it's really important that you put systems in place for our audience members that are running eos or scaling up or one of those entrepreneurial operating systems systematize everything. It just makes your life so much easier. Systematize your operations, systematize your hiring. Yeah. Well, every system or process is perfectly designed to get the results that you're getting. So guess what? If you're having high attrition and you're getting bad hires, guess what? It's your system. It's your process that needs to change. Yeah, yeah. most definitely. All right. You're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional content and resources to help you land great hires. Today, our guest is Adam Stonehawker. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. You it's know, not that hard. I know, it's I know. It, it no, sounds just like it's spelled. <laughs> I, he's the head of sales at Gemini. Actually, if you look at the middle notes, it just says Adam Stone. Somebody messed up and that was me. We are discussing <laughs> training your employees 
for maximum benefit when you run interviews. How do we solve this problem? You have a system that you put into place. You've hired hundreds of salespeople. Where did you start? Honestly, the first place I started was identifying the core values and the culture that we wanted to hire for. Wait, say that again. Core values what? Hiring the core values and the culture that you want on your team. Especially in the roles that I was hiring for, I was hiring an entry-level role. And there was a disconnect between like, oh, we got to hire this experience. But like, you can't hire for experience in an entry-level role. Anytime you get somebody that's with a lot of experience, it's willing to take an entry-level role. There's usually a reason for that. Yeah. When we changed our focus to actually away from experience, we looked at values and culture. Like, are they going to be a value and culture fit? Then we had to change our interview guide because our interview guide didn't gauge those competencies. Our interview guide tried to understand if they sold before and if they could sell. And it was trying to measure skill instead of actually measuring values. So once you've defined your values and your culture, then you actually have to change that interview guide to make sure that those questions are bringing out the values and the competencies that you want those questions to bring out. We talk a lot about culture here, but it's really important what you're saying here, which is to create a guide around those cultural values. What we do is we actually build behavioral questions for each corporate value. And then those are assigned to each interviewer. We try to make it as easy and seamless as possible. If you're interviewer number one, here's your four questions. They're judging against these two corporate values and go have fun with it. Yeah, It's really important too that when you do that, you write up follow-up questions. So if somebody gets stuck, they can dig underneath the hood. Then you sign those to each team member and you role play. You role play, you teach them how to dig deeper under the hood and you have some fun with it because we all know practice makes proficient. One of the things that we did, I mean, we wanted our reps, we knew they needed to be coachable. And so one of the things that we did was we would have them role play actually in the interview process. And then they'd go to another interview right after this initial interview with feedback from the role play. And we would gauge whether or not they actually tried to incorporate some of the feedback they'd gotten to see if like, hey, is this person one going to try to retain what we're telling them they need to fix? And then two, just try it. They could fail miserably trying it, but we'd rather hire that person than someone that just comes in and does the exact same thing. What's interesting is that with sales organizations that I've had experience with in the past, they almost always look at numbers and they judge everything based on the numbers. What were your KPIs? How'd you hit them? How'd you exceed them? And that's the whole focus mainly of the interview. So you flip that upside down and what's the level of importance of that when you're hiring a sales rep versus cultural alignment? You can have all of the great performance, but if you're a jerk, we don't want to hire you. You will do more damage as a jerk than you would producing any type of numbers. So you got the foundational pieces done. How do you train? So the next thing is training your managers, training anybody that's going to be interviewing in your organization, really, not just in your specific department, but one is here's the values that we're looking for. Here's the interview guide that gauges those values or competencies. We role played with each other. You talked about role playing. We did the same thing where we would literally ask each other the questions on the interview guide, I had a group of about eight managers. We'd be sitting around a conference room and two managers would go at it, they're role-playing with each other. And then if 
a manager gave like a fluff answer and you weren't able to gauge that value or competency, we would make sure that you're asking those follow-up questions that you talked about. Am I doing follow-up questions to really dig into and understand the competency? You can't let a potential hire just give you a fluff answer and then leave it. That's what a lot of managers do. And at the end of the interview, they're like, well, I like that person, gut feel, okay, I'm going to do it or vice versa. But if you really dig deep and they're still giving you fluff, still giving you fluff, then maybe you end the interview early. You do end the interview early. That's a pass. Here's a tip. If you want to be super brave, you can feed each interviewer their interview questions before they even go in and meet with you. So then you're actually preparing them for that. We dig really deep. Don't provide all the sub questions or the under the hood stuff. But here's the four questions you're going to get asked and see how well they prepare. Yeah. And I really like that. We never did that, but awesome suggestion. I learned some of this from watching Amazon and I actually interviewed at Amazon years ago and I just Googled the interview questions at Amazon for recruiting. Basically, I went in, I was pretty prepared about exactly what they were going to ask me. So in the training, we do a lot of role playing. How much role playing is sufficient to get somebody trained up? It honestly depends on each individual. If you have a manager that's allowing a fluff answer, you come back to them and say, hey, like, did you really understand the value or competency there? Okay, what was it in your mind? Okay, how did you come to that conclusion? I always ask what evidence supports that conclusion? Yep. We've got typically four or five what, how, and where questions that you ask to follow up to dig deeper under the hood. So for example, if somebody can't tell you how they did something, they most likely didn't do it. High performers know exactly how they did things. That's a key indicator. And one of the great sales techniques, Rick, is just a mirror, right? So when someone's like, oh, I closed $100,000 in business in March, and it's like, oh, you closed $100,000 in business. And then guess what? They just start talking and you looked up their LinkedIn. Yeah, I did that, yeah, right? Like just mirroring a few words will get them to continue to talk and divulge what you actually want to hear from them. It's funny. So that's Chris, um, the negotiator. Chris Voss. Chris Voss, yeah. yeah. Never split the difference. Chris Voss's yep. stuff works amazingly well, yeah. Trying to get him on the yep. show. So if you're listening, Chris, please come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> So what do we do to continue this to make sure that people's skills don't go awry? People don't fall back into old habits of, so where do you want to be in five years? And those questions that people are going to create or give you canned answers that they're used to hearing. Yeah, I honestly think that training is absolutely worthless without follow up and follow through. I saw it so many times where my team would go into a training one time, one day, all day training. This is how you close deals. And guess what? If you as a leader and manager didn't say every other week, how are you applying this training? How are we continuing to learn and grow? Guess what? That training lasted like 48 hours. They did something for 48 hours. One of the biggest things about training your managers is we would then have a quarterly calibration where basically we all get into a room. We would look at the interview guide again and we'd break down each question and say, hey, are these questions actually measuring the values and competencies we want them to at the level we want them to? And there were some questions we'd cut and we'd bring in new questions and we would do the role playing. It's sharpening the saw. If you're not doing something quarterly to continually make your interview process, one, consistent and two, continually improve it, then like you said, you eventually lose those skills and you start to ask questions that aren't measuring the competencies you want them to, all of those things. 
So a quarterly calibration, look, this was an hour every single quarter that made the biggest difference for making sure that we stayed on track and continued to hire the right people. It's really important to gain commitment from everybody who's doing it too. You can't have somebody half bought in, especially the first couple of interviews that they do, they're going to be a little shaky and they're going to feel awkward because it's going to be different than what they're used to a lot of times. You got to get the commitment. It takes something like 35 days in a row to change a habit or create a habit. So you're looking at like 90 days that you have to commit to really messing up a few times on the interviews, being transparent about it. And then of course, making sure that you reinforce it. What didn't work, what worked. You can have weekly check-in meetings where let's talk about how these interviews are working for you, why they're working, why they're not. Yeah. And one of the things I definitely want to mention is the feel of the interview. As you go into training your managers, like what type of culture and values do you have as a company? Guess what? The candidate should be able to feel that when you're interviewing them. Do you have a fun culture? Well, good. Have a fun and exciting interview process. I've had some managers that were so like hard nosed and I've had to say, Hey, like we're a fun environment here. Like we're work hard, play hard. They need to feel that in that interview process. Otherwise you're kind of scaring some people away. I, I had to learn that. Stan Slap, bury my heart in conference room B as I read his book. And he explains like, Hey, through your interview process, your value should shine through that interview process. And cause I was very hard nosed. I was like, ah, oh, you're not getting this job. And then <laughs> once I, once I actually was the person personality of the culture, it's a much better experience for your candidates. And things turned around a lot for you as far as performance goes of the organization. Yeah. So like I said, like the team was hitting 85% of its revenue goal for the year, ended up hitting 135% that next year after making our changes. Attrition went from 20% down to three, 4% per month. And I think the biggest thing was just everybody was just so happy. Lots more people hitting goals, a lot more team collaboration. There were a lot of changes that we made other than just hiring, but hiring was definitely the biggest impact to making sure that we created a program that really just absolutely blew the revenue goals out of the water and did that consistently for six years in a row. Just boom, boom, boom. As long as I was there. There's the proof in the pudding right there. Like that's so, so, so important. Thanks for dropping that bomb. We're getting pretty close on time. What would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that they can plug into their business today? You're not going to get anywhere if you don't first define your values, your culture. Everyone's got to be on the same page looking for the right types of talent. And then only then can you always be recruiting when you see that value or that competency. When you're out to dinner, you can actually say, hey, come work with me. That's the first one. You have to have that. Number two, you have to structure that interview guide to gauge those values and competencies. Once you have those two, then you're training and doing those quarterly calibrations to refine that interview guide, sharpen the saw. You've got a feedback loop for that interview process. And that feedback loop generates the continuous improvement for your team. You do those three things and you will have a well-oiled machine absolutely working for you. Oh, I love that. Adam, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of our audience could reach you, find out more about you? Here's some plug time for you. I'm on LinkedIn. It's Adam Stone Hawker, just like it sounds. <laughs> Check me out. I'd love to connect with you. I'm always connecting on LinkedIn. Yeah. 
Awesome. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Firepower. A quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. We're listening after all this show is for you. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com, or you can drop me an email at rickettstridesearch.com. Tune in next Tuesday. Our guest is going to be Clint Carnell. He is the CEO of the Hydrofacial Company. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live Show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success, Rick Gerard.